0: Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin, along with my co-host and colleague, Bruce Kelly. We have a couple of great guests today. First of all, we're kicking off with Kurt Wolf, a securities attorney with Troutman Pepper. I know he has a much more sophisticated and complicated title, and I'll let him tell you about that. But first of all, uh, Bruce, how you doing? How's things
1: Everything is, is fine and dandy up in the Big Apple, man. We got uh, the sunshine is kicking. We've had a couple of 60-degree days. People are getting their vaccinations. All so, right. So, you know, there's been some press reports, as you and I have discussed over the summer, about people leaving New York. There's been some headlines and reports about people coming back to New York or eyeing a return to New York. My kids, uh, the high schools are opening up back again, so my my two kids might be going back to school in a week or two. So things are things are changing up here. Sounds fully vaccinated. Good stuff. Not quite fully yet, but we're getting there. Yeah,
0: herd immunity. So, uh, Kurt. Welcome aboard. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we're going we're gonna to run you through the ringer here a little bit here, um, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is what we're known for because we're, we're brutal people, I, Bruce and I. Kn- I. I know. Um, I know.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm, I've, I've been nervous about this one uh, when, <laughs> when you asked me to come on because I'm, I'm a regular listener, so I know what's in store. Oh, come on. <laughs> we're, we're we're pussy cats.
0: Anyway, this is we we got you here because we know you know this stuff cold. And uh it's uh, something that our colleague Mark Sheff wrote about recently, yeah. the the final marketing rule by the SEC on uh, what financial advisors I guess can do or SEC registered financial advisors can do in terms of marketing themselves. I understand this rule was it's been in place since 1961 and was last updated In any way in 1979. Oh my Lord. Which I think was probably before Bruce was born. But now we've got the internet and cell phones and Twitter and TikTok. And I can't believe it hasn't been
1: changed. Legalized
0: marijuana.
2: That's 40 years or something. I mean, geez. Yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing. What's going on? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. You're right. The rule has been kicking around for an awful long time. Actually, one of the things that happened with- So what, what exactly
1: happened this week, Kurt? So we we got, well, this week,
2: <laughs> it's a little bit wonky, but so this week, uh, this rule that was approved by the SEC back in December was officially published in the Federal Register. And that doesn't mean much other than it's almost go time. Once something is published in the Federal Register, you've got 60 days until it becomes effective and then for purposes of this rule, um, the effective date will start an 18-month clock during which firms need to become compliant with the final rule. Uh, this so is
1: pretty it, wonky. You're getting into the wonky i, know, I'm, I, yeah. I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I mean,
2: what, what you need to know, all yeah. right, if you're an advisor listening to this or a compliance person listening to this, the rule becomes effective in May and you will be expected to comply with it in November of 2022, not this year, but next year.
1: Well, what what is compliance? What does that mean?
0: Yeah, Uh, how is
2: it? How is it? How is it changing? Too, (laughs) yeah, right to the best.
1: I I mean, this is like a 400 page. rule. I mean, I'm sure you and the and the attorneys at your firm haven't had time to digest this whole thing yet, or maybe you have. I don't know. Maybe you're super (laughs) well.
2: you haven't read this yet. Come on, man. I mean, I I haven't read every word. I have no doubt that there are (laughs) there are there are people that have. But yeah, it weighs in at 430 pages. I mean here's the good news. In the press release they said that this new rule was going to efficiently regulate investment advisors marketing communications. So it should be easy, right? I mean that's what I'm assuming. No, I, I think this one is going to be a heavy lift for firms and for advisors getting used to it. And that's what, you know, Mark Sheff actually reported. I think he's he's dead on. He said just because you've got, you know, 20 months until the compliance date, that doesn't mean you can relax. There's an awful lot to do and I think you know we've learned over the last couple of years that sometimes firms are a little bit late to the party when it comes to complying with new rules. You know, We watched firms struggle a little bit with regulation best interest. There was a, a big fight about whether or not that one was ever going to become a rule. Some firms were kind of cooling their heels and saying, well, let's see if this thing actually happens. Others, for, for reasons related to the pandemic or otherwise, were just a little bit late to sort of get their ducks in a row. I think with that example, firms should take this seriously. They need to really dig into the rule now. They should think about how they market their services to current and prospective clients. They should look at how, uh, how their, the way they market services lines up against the rule. And, you know, is the way that they're doing it, is the, the compliance infrastructure that they have in place sufficient to satisfy the rule? And if they identify gaps, they need to figure out how they're going to fix them and come up with a timeline to get themselves in into compliance.
1: So what can an advisor print in, you know, my dad lives in Naples, Florida, and they still have a newspaper. They still have a local newspaper down there. Right. It's a it's a retirement community. And so. You know, whenever I go to visit, I'm always uh, astonished by that. I haven't been down there in a year or a year and a half or whenever <laughs> I did because of the, the pandemic, of course. But I'm always surprised by the half of the newspaper and ad. So, and there's a lot of money in Naples, right? And there's a lot of, you know, every other office space you drive down there, it's either a pizzeria or a Chinese takeout or, a, or an investment advisor's office or a brokerage office. Will I, if I were an investment advisor, Will I be what kind of ad will I be able to place in the local newspaper down there, or local television or local radio? Because older people still listen to a lot of AM radio. All news is very popular, right with uh, of older folks. There was a guy down in Philadelphia I've written about recently, um, an advisor named Dean Vegnazi who was advertising heavily on all news radio down there. And who got into trouble recently uh, with different regulatory agencies for making, you know, certain promises to investors and and who knows where some money is. Right. So if I'm an investor, can I buy a different kind of looking ad or get a different spot on television in 2022 with this thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think to the untrained eye, the ads are probably going to look very similar to what you what you're used to, whether that is in print or on TV or now social media you know, a couple of the things that the rules did or that the, the rule did, I keep saying rules because there used to be a, an advertising rule and a solicitation rule. This marketing rule smashes them together. So that creates some consistency and gets rid of some unnecessary overlap or, or inconsistencies between the rules. But so I'm, I'm trying to say rule as much as I can. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the I think we rule, got you
1: when you talk about it though, we understand yeah. what you're
2: saying. <laughs> so the, the new rule is, is really designed to scoop up all kinds of new media, right? Because we used to think about it much like you described it in Naples, you know, was it on the TV? Is it on the AM radio? Is it in the newspaper? But now we know people are on Twitter. Josh Brown was on your show talking about how he's on TikTok and YouTube, right? right? So we can't have a rule that specifies all those different types of media. And so what they've done is adopt a principles-based approach. And this is sort of signature Jay Clayton rulemaking. We're going to put in place principles that can be broadly applied and what they've done is said in your advertisements, you need to abide by the following principles, which, are, which you can read as sort of prohibitions, right? You can't make untrue statements. You can't include information that would lead to an inference that is inaccurate or untrue. You can't discuss the potential benefits of an investment without disclosing the attendant risks. You can't talk about performance results in a way that isn't fair and balanced, right? So these sort of broad sweeping principles are what firms need to think about or what advisors need to think about when they're taking out an ad. Some things that might be new that you haven't seen before are the use of testimonials, endorsements, third-party ratings, and past performance results.
1: I think that's interesting.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think that's
1: very interesting.
2: I think it's very interesting. And I think that the industry broadly saw it as a good thing because I think people have wanted to do that for a long time, but there wasn't really a way to safely do it in the existing framework. Now you can, you know, subject to certain restrictions, right? You know, if if you have a testimonial or an endorsement and you pay a person for that testimonial or endorsement, you need to disclose that you paid the person for that testimonial or endorsement. If you're going to rely on past performance results, you need to provide certain disclosures about, you know, how they're presented and how you came up with the figures and what does it include, right? So that somebody who reads the ad can fairly interpret it to say, like, oh, well, you know, I I like X celebrity, but I can see here that they got paid to do it, or you know, I can see that, that they've had twelve percent returns over the last year, or five years, ten years, whatever. But you know, the the print tells me what that what that actually means or, or, or what are the the restrictions. So. I think it gives firms an awful lot of flexibility in, in terms of thinking about how they want to market their services, but they are going to have to you know, go through and do this sort of wonky, weedy work of figuring out from a compliance standpoint. Are we doing enough to make sure that our guys are, are uh, following the rules? Do we have in place the right kind of structure to review some of the ads? Are we training people so that they understand, you know, maybe I, I need to think about this differently if I'm talking to a big institutional investor versus a retail investor, or if it's a one-on-one conversation or a conversation at a conference. These are the things that they're going to have to figure out as they- But, so the, but the
1: these are SEC advisors, not yes, FINRA brokers.
2: Correct. Yes, the, the, and, this is uh, for SEC the, uh,
1: brokers can't advertise for like Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley or LPL or Raymond James, right, or anybody can't advertise my star broker in New York or my star bro- star broker in Boston. He gets ten percent a year or something. You <laughs> no, can't there. you can't advertise the individual benefits or returns of an individual broker a broker will tell you at a a cocktail party (laughs) how much he can get you. He can double your money in five years or whatever. Right. But you can't print, you can't put that in print or put that on Twitter or something. No. How is this, how does this, what you're talking about, jibe with what FINRA
2: rules are? I think they're thinking about, I think they're thinking about the the services. Who's thinking broker, about? The SEC? Uh, the regulators. The regulators yeah. are thinking about the jobs that broker-dealers and that investment advisors do a little bit differently. And, and we've seen that happen over, over the years, of course. Again, it was something else that sort of came up in the Reg BI context is, you know, what is the fundamental role of a broker and what is the fundamental role of an advisor? You know, I think they're thinking of brokers as more generally transactional in nature and advisors more are worried about, uh, they have a fiduciary obligation. They, um, are, are sort of a longer term advisor potentially. And what they want to be able to do is be able to give them some flexibility to say, this is what I've been getting right all these years for my other similarly situated clients.
1: I would think it would piss off brokers. If I'm a FINRA registered guy and I've been doing a good job and then across the street from me in Cincinnati, right? Or Columbus, is an RIA who used to work with me at my broker dealer now he's going RIA and after a few years he can start touting his 3 and 5 year returns you know
0: well that's why brokers go the RIA route yeah
1: yeah i just that yeah i think right, jeff you're right it's just another added difficulty for the yeah. guy with the FINRA license yeah anyways i've been hogging kurt's time here jeff why well, don't nah. you really do- Start no, it's an,
2: it's an interesting point. You know, I, I will say this: they might not be you too can't terribly look at one upset. One side
1: of the business and not look at the
2: other. You no, know I mean, I, anymore. I I agree. In this case, though, I will say that the the compliance cost and burden is falling squarely on the shoulders of the advisors. And I don't know at the end of the day how much benefit they will derive from being able to include in testimonials in their ads. I, I mean, time will tell, of course. Well, so but-
1: with the egos that some of these. Guys have <laughs> Kurt that you know. Come on, man! Aren't there certain big names out there who want to tout their returns? I mean, uh, come yeah, on. So, uh, of you know? course.
2: I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Or
1: tout uh, who they have saying they're a great. They're a terrific financial advisor or something. I I I just see this through the lens of of opening up a you know a window for people's egos, for advisors' egos to through. That's yeah, we'll
2: we'll see if the juice is worth the squeeze. I mean again, You're I sort of come from an enforcement background, so right. I think uh, you you press that too far and you you might buy a problem you didn't want in in the course of trying to find <laughs> new clients. The thing about those
0: celebrity endorsements though is I kind of wonder what the value of them is. I mean, I know there are celebrity endorsements for reverse mortgages and buying gold, but uh
1: Hey, Shaquille O'Neal is running a SPAC.
2: Right. Well, hey, we just got Come guidance on. on that yesterday from the SEC's uh, Office of Investor Ed. They, right. It was like a two-paragraph letter to the market that basically said, just because a celebrity is, is affiliated right. with a SPAC doesn't mean it's right for you. So the same, I think, is true
0: here. But Kurt, this isn't just about what you can do. It's also about
2: clarifying things that you, you can't do, right? This, this rule? I, th- I think so. I think that was, uh, that was the intention, right? Was to right. to move the bounds a little bit and create a little, a little bit more of a flexible standard. I have to say, it probably leaves a lot of compliance folks, at least with more questions than answers. And in some oh, yeah. cases, creates new Why questions. Why
1: do they always have more questions than answers? <laughs> well, in this now, case- is that just so they can sh- build their clients more or what? You yeah.
2: Know? Uh, no, no, no comment. Um, <laughs> I- <laughs> You know, part, part of it here is there's a, really, there's a really practical answer to that, and that is that the SEC has said that they're going to take away guidance that has been, that has been in existence in some cases for decades, right? Because they're saying, well, we think it's fairly captured by the broad sweep of this new rule, so we're going to take away these guidance and letters that we've issued to the market and that advisors have built their programs around over the last 50 years potentially. And so now firms and the folks that advise them are saying, oh my God, like which guidance are they going to take away? When are they going to do it? How, you know, now I have to rethink all this because there have been some really prescriptive letters to to the market over time that say like, this is what you need to include in a legend or disclaimer. Well, if they just take that away, you know, do I continue to use that language? Do I have to come up with something new and hope it sticks? You know, so I do think there are some open questions that are going to matter as firms are working through this.
0: Yeah. Two two things I want to ask you. One is turnover at the top of the SEC. Is that having any impact on this at all? Did this that kind of move it forward, or or could there ultimately be some tweaks to this as a result of
2: that? So I, I have I have two answers: yes and no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I two great say, answers right. You know, can, yeah, I can't more go wrong. Questions right. So you know, so, uh, you know n- no, because I think that this that this rule has a broad bipartisan support, right? It, it got a 5-0 vote. And if you followed a, a lot uh, of the Clayton yeah. rulemakings, especially toward the end of 2020, it didn't see many 5-0s. So, I, you know, I don't know that even the, the sitting commissioners that are carrying over from the Clayton era have any, any interest in rethinking or retooling or reworking this rule. I mean, they, they don't even really seem to have an interest in doing that with regulation best interest, which they're- No, big, they don't you know, cries to redo it. They just, it's not worth it to them. But, but here's the yes. One of the things, and you know, I've sort of been arguing this and writing about this for a long time. One of the things that happens when you put in place a bunch of principles based rules is that the people that come after you get to interpret and determine the, the shape or the scope of those principles. And I think that's what we, what we might see here is that the rule that, let's just say, you know, Jay Clayton and his staff had in mind when they were thinking about the marketing rule may not be the shape that, well, let's just assume Gary Gensler is confirmed. It may not be the shape that Gary Gensler sees, right? So because we have this squishy standard, it may not work out to be exactly what we thought it might've been in 2019.
0: Well, the other question, and even though I said I had two questions, I only asked one at (laughs) a time. But uh, my my other question relates to the fact that RIAs have 20 months to do this, which means most of them will take- But you know how slowly these guys move to get started. And with all the consolidation in the RIA space right now, if I was an RIA with- 500 million or more in assets, I wouldn't even worry about this cuz I would assume within 20 months I'm going to be acquired by somebody and let it be somebody else's problem, mm-hmm. you know. In the meantime, they're in this kind of window of, you know, amnesty where they can kind of do whatever they want, right?
2: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I mean, that's a <laughs> I I would not advise any firm to do that. Let me be really really clear. I think you should I think yeah. you should start thinking about it now. But, you know, you're right. And that's not dissimilar to what we've seen with other rules where there was a lag period between when the rule became effective and when firms were expected to comply with it. Some, you know, come right out of the gate. Some have been thinking about it since the proposed rule came out in 2019. This thing is coming. We need to start thinking about it. How can we sort of benchmark what we think the new rule is going to look like against our existing structure? Some firms are doing that. They have been doing that. Some just aren't gonna do it. They're gonna they're gonna wait and see. And here's the thing. Yes, it's 20 months. It could be longer than that before anybody really gets their feet held to the fire. Because you know what typically happens is next year in the exam cycle, the the examiners from the SEC are going to go into the firms and, and start saying, okay, well, you know, what are you what have you been doing? How are you getting ready? And they're gonna, you know, make some observations and put some some guidance or other information out to the market that wasn't in their in their priorities uh, list for the exam team this year. You know, they said generally we'll we'll look at your uh, your ads to see if they include misleading information. Next year in the exam priorities, you should expect to see something that says we are going to go in and affirmatively look to see how firms are complying or preparing to comply with the advertising rule. Okay.
0: So these RIAs should be reading this 430-page document or Paying somebody like you a mountain of money to read it for them, correct?
2: (laughs) Oh, man, there's not a right answer to that question. Uh, Yes, they they
1: should be getting prepared to comply with it. But you represent RIAs and broker dealers. Yeah, yes, yes, I do. Those are your clients. Okay. All right.
0: Anything else for for Kurt before we let him go, Bruce? Because I know we're paying him by the hour to be here, and uh, we don't have a lot of budget here. We have to dip into petty cash for this one.
2: It's not by the word. I thought, isn't that what we (laughs) negotiated? (laughs) No.
0: No, I just no,
1: Again, I'm wondering just from the brokerage side of the street, if, Kurt, if there's any indication out of FINRA or the like that they could relax rules or change rules for social media or registered reps or, or broker dealers, it just seems such a yeah, antediluvian I mean, way of doing business. You know, right. FINRA is just not nimble. You know, FINRA is very...
2: No. And I think, you know, their advertising rules are in some respects more exacting because of the review process. You have to go through to get things approved before it forever, you can right? even- Like 30 or
1: 60 it. days or something yeah. like that. Right?
2: It, 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 can take, it can take a while. I, yeah, I don't think we're going to see changes to that in the near term. You know, never say never, but I, I think that they they believe they've found a system that works, that is broadly achieving their goals of protecting people in the market, protecting investors, and making sure they have access to Fair and accurate information, and you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Plus, they get to watch the RIAs and see how that goes.
1: Yeah, but they're losing market share to the to the SEC and to the state regulators. You know, that's what I don't. That's what I don't understand is that FINRA is just watching. It's every year thousands of advisors, you know, move over to the other side of the street.
2: Yeah. I think there's a, a, an interesting philosophical question baked in there somewhere about, <laughs> about <laughs> you know, how they see their mandate and how, how wide they want the scope to be. But no, you're, you're right. You're right. They, they certainly are sort of diluting their impact as a regulator. Right.
1: Okay. That's it for me. Jeff? Yeah, I'm all set. I uh,
0: had a, I learned a lot, and I think RIA should be boning up on this stuff.
1: I'm just glad that we got Mark Sheff to write about this stuff, man. Because this this the way that he covers how these regulations and rule changes just kind of trickle out, you know, of the SEC yeah. and the states and everything. I couldn't do it, you know. He he does such a fantastic job. I'm really I'm really glad we got Sheffy to do that. He's job. a he's
2: a real pro. I always enjoy talking to him, and his coverage yeah. is is absolutely great. So if yeah. you don't read him, you should. All right. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate the opportunity. All righty.
1: Hi, this is Steve Lamb, Director of Multimedia here at Investment News. I hope you all are enjoying the pod. I'm excited to let you all know that Investment News is opening nominations for our annual Excellence in Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Awards today, March 15th. These editorial awards recognize firms and individuals in the financial advice industry who are raising awareness of the importance of having a diverse and equitable profession, and that are helping to build an industry culture that welcomes everyone. Please consider whether the individuals or firms that you work for or with deserve accolades for their DEI successes. Complete a free online nomination before May 14th by going to investmentnews.com slash awards. Thanks for your time. Let's get
0: back to the pod. Okay, good stuff there from uh, Kurt Wolf, an attorney with Troutman Pepper, which uh, actually sounds like an excellent brunch. But now we have uh, as our next wonderful guest, Chuck Fela, principal of Sovereign Financial uh, I was going to talk to us about the breakaway movement from his perspective. Let me tell you, I met Chuck. I don't know, sometime last year, virtually, like everything else in this world. I uh, was putting together a little conference called Go RIA, which was designed to, I guess, help RIA or help breakaway brokers find their way in the independent channel. That morphed into what has or what is now the RIA Summit, which is an investment news project that. Chuck is very involved in. He's the co-chair. That's May 18th and 19th, by the way. And uh, if you stay tuned through this, you'll get a little gift of a 20% discount to register. But first of all, welcome, Chuck. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I want to first of all ask you, I mean, you're, you're a financial advisor, principal of Sovereign Financial, but you're also very focused
3: on the the breakaway movement. Why is that? Sure. and And it's great to be here, Jeff. And thanks for having me on the show. So I I am a financial advisor, have been for a bit more than a quarter century now. I did the breakaway thing myself just over two years ago. And the reason why I'm I'm so dialed into this is because we're focusing on making our own firm, Sovereign Financial, really perfect, right? For for my own book of business. And as we were doing this for the first, you know, year of being an SEC RIA, we were developing all kinds of systems and processes and the RIT stack and, and all that good stuff that makes for a good deliverable set of deliverables to your clients. And we, we built something that we thought was really good. And it got to the point where we were like, all right, let's share this with other advisors, which is really kind of the tuck-in model, if you will. And we basically opened up the doors to advisors that wanted to make that leap into the RIA space, but they wanted to stop just short of full-on operations and compliance responsibilities. And so that's what's really got me plugged into the whole sort of go RIA space, if you will, or the breakaway space, is that. Now, the the side result or the side benefit, I guess you could call it, is I've gotten to know a lot of people in the RIA space, a lot of the vendors, a lot of the IT people, probably all the IT stack folks, because we've kind of tested them all out. And we've put together kind of a short list for what's best for us at Sovereign. And the way we did that is just talking to lots of advisors, Right. And uh, yeah, I'm also very involved with the uh, the FPA, and I was involved with the Go RIA initially as well. And I find that the more advisors I talk to, you know, as opposed to the salespeople from these different vendors, you talk to the advisors, you find out the good, the bad, and the ugly about what's working, what's not working, whether it's a process or a piece of software technology. And after about a couple of years of doing that, you know, we're getting closer and closer to kind of the perfect situation, at least for us, which may not be perfect for everyone else. But that certainly got me talking to a lot of people in the RIA space, and that's what gave birth to this Go RIA Summit, you know, last fall.
0: Mm-hmm. What? What? Uh, let's Let's talk about the the RIA Summit that is upcoming, March eighteenth and nineteenth. I mean, what? First of all, why is there an appetite for this kind of a of a project, and what are we going to be offering people? Sure.
3: So the appetite is clear, right? And and I really do believe this that. the the advisors out there today, the financial advisors out there today, I really believe fall into two categories, right? Either people that are in the RIA space or they're thinking about going into the RIA space. And and I'm sure of this for the most part, right? I would say a good solid 90% of the advisors out there have to be at least thinking about it if they're not already there. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting. Now, the thing about making that leap, there's so many different options. And that's one of the greatest things about this this summit. And and as I was joking about with you, Jeff, offline, and I know you and I've been working a lot on this summit together, is man, I I wish you guys had a summit three years ago when I was <laughs> thinking about going RA. And I'm I'm not joking; I really yeah. mean that because it's awesome. I mean, I would have no doubt about it. Dialed in for both days, recorded it if I could, and mm-hmm. really absorb it because. As exciting as the RIA space is, and I've always been very entrepreneurial, and I can give you some crazy entrepreneurial stories from my earlier days, but I've always loved the idea of having my own business controlling my own destiny and I, I just always love that and people that are drawn to the RIA space, I think share that, but even the ones that don't actually, you know they tuck in and they have that same desire for more freedom than they can have in the wirehouse or broker dealer model. But what's great about the summit, is in a very concentrated period of time over a two day period, you'll get a pretty good idea, certainly in broad strokes. And some of these panels are going pretty deep dive into some very specific important topics like compliance, like technology. That if it's not going to answer your questions, it will certainly make sure you know all the questions to ask before you make that leap. You know, when you drop your seven or 24 and you fully go that RIA route, just that concentration of having all that information on. Basically, every topic that an RIA would want to have is going to be on those two days. So I, I'm really excited about it.
0: Do you think anyone uh, could get started down the path and attend something like this summit or or anything like this, a workshop of any sort, and, and be turned off by it and realize it's maybe more work than they want to do? Or or maybe that's a good idea, a good thing if they find out that, you know, as opposed to just jumping in cold, right?
3: Yeah. That's a great point, and let me tell you something. There were some things that you know as as much due diligence as we did and and I'm kind of a due diligence type of person. I mean, I really researched a lot before we made the leap, and there's some things that we didn't see coming right so you know, will this summit tell some people, "Hey, maybe you don't want to do this? I guess perhaps, but really, you know going r i a there's two paths to take right you could you could set up your own r i a which is what we did, but we have staff we have a chief compliance officer chief operations person a chief client a support person so we have a pretty deep bench to handle all those different areas but there's still that in between spot and it's even more than in between where perhaps you don't want to have you know that wirehouse those restrictions right that are inherent with a wirehouse or a broker dealer model and you want more of that freedom that you see in the RIA space you can get about 90% RIA and sort of outsource that last 10% to a firm that does such a thing and still have that. So I think what you'll see for people that uh, tune in for the summit, there might be some people that were thinking about setting up their own RIA that they might think, well, maybe I don't want to do the compliance and the IT and all that other stuff, but rather tuck in with an RIA that's a good fit for what I'm looking to do. I don't think there's going to be too many people that tune in with the desire of getting into the RIA space, either starting their own or tucking in, and then saying, this is not for me, right? I think if you've gotten to the point where you come to an RIA summit, you already know what's going on, right? And the handwriting's on the wall. The life for the broker-dealer representative is not gonna get better from this point, in my opinion, right? It's just not. Regulations become more arduous and it just gets harder and harder to do business in that sort of old-fashioned way. And I, I think that's a pretty accurate way to to encapsulate that. The the the, the future is non-commission. Now it may not be AUM fee based. And I know Jeff. I think you're doing a panel on this. It may not be AUM fees. It may not be just hourly fees or flat fees or whatever fee structure. But the one that's probably not going to be really that prevalent in five, certainly ten years, is someone selling some variable annuity and getting a seven percent commission on it. Right? That's just not going to happen. It makes no sense. So that, that's what, my two cents on that. What
0: about the, and I want to know how you dealt with this, and this might be a concern to some breakaways signing up for these kind of events. A lot of times there's a, there's a market just in kind of selling the attendee list and stuff like that. A lot of these breakaways are going to want to probably not use their, uh, their, <laughs> you know, sure. their Merrill Lynch, uh, sure. their Merrill Lynch email. Yeah, they want to I'd be bring, anonymous, right? Yeah. I mean, how do you, how, could that deter some people from even attending these
3: things? Well, if you don't allow for anonymity, I think it would deter. But I, I know there's a system in place to allow for that anonymity, so that shouldn't be a problem at all. So yeah, I, I would definitely say for, for sure if I was Bob Smith, registered rep at Merrill Lynch, I don't think I would want to show up on the chat screen as Bob Smith from <laughs> Merrill Lynch at a go RIA summit, or an RIA summit, I should Let's say. Let's hope the Russians
1: don't hack,
3: right?
1: <laughs> Hacking exactly. and post everybody's information, for goodness yeah. sake, right? Yep.
3: Now we talked to a lot of wirehouse advisors, and let me tell you something: it's Klandenstein to be sure. Like, I I had one guy who wanted to meet. I mean, no, no exaggeration. Like thirty miles away from town, (laughs) in like some random coffee shop. I thought I was like in Breaking Bad or something. Yeah, I mean, he was (laughs) super, super paranoid. You know, it's always been
1: that way though. Whenever you know, they in the you know, fifteen twenty years ago, they used to jump from Morgan Stanley to Merrill Lynch or to UBS or vice versa, and the same thing would happen. They couldn't have. Dinner or lunch in that town? They had to go somewhere else. Sure. To have a
3: meal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, interesting. I um, I, I want to tell you that if you uh, through this podcast, if you you can use the code the registration code RIA twenty, the number twenty to uh, get a twenty percent discount off uh, registration through
1: March twenty fifth. So. Uh, oh, that's cool. Jump on that. And then the meeting, the 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 actual meeting is in May though, Jeff, right? Yeah,
0: May eighteenth and nineteenth. It's it is virtual and virtual. We we, we do plan on making this uh, an annual thing, and hopefully uh, next year or the uh, okay oh, be in person. It will be in person and uh, maybe not even wearing masks and having
1: ordinary handshakes. Who knows? I mean, wouldn't that, that be sounds fantastic? Like, sounds like that crazy. Would be great. Yeah. And Chuck, where you're based in New York or Connecticut or where is your firm?
3: Uh, well, we have offices in New York, Connecticut, and, and Pennsylvania, but the two uh, probably our busiest offices are in uh, the Chrysler Building in Manhattan and in downtown Stanford, Connecticut.
1: Okay. So you're right around the corner from our offices at 685 3rd.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But I, I heard that this in-person summit's going to be in the Bahamas. Did I mishear that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, was, I was hoping for Puerto Rico myself. Yeah. You know, I like All good. I would take that too.
0: Oh, well, it's in May and it's nice everywhere in May. So that's that's right. <laughs> you can't really go wrong. All right. Well, thank you very much, Chuck, for coming on and walking us through this and we'll uh we'll we'll be following along and see what happens and how many more uh breakaways we send out the door with our uh with our how to manual. It'll
1: be it'll done. be interesting to see the response to a summit like this. I wonder if the brokerage firms are gonna be pissed off at investment news, you know. <laughs> for yeah, for doing this kind of conference, right, Chuck? I mean, this is, uh, I think, yeah, I'm looking at your f- registration here. Fenry. you used to be with Raymond James, right?
3: That's right. Well, what's interesting is I'm actually still with Raymond James in a way, right? So I'm using Raymond James as my custodian. We also have Schwab as a custodian. But I see. And that's kind okay. of a neat little story there too. You know, Raymond James, which I've always thought has been a very progressive firm. I think they see the handwriting on the wall as well. And they're like, well, you know, before we lose someone like Chuck to a Schwab entirely, let's get our custody solutions up to snuff, which they have, and retain us that way. Now, it's a lower margin business for them for sure, but it's better than no business. And I think a lot of the broker-dealers are moving in that direction too. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I got to agree with you. You know, it's only a a matter of time for, you know, Wells Fargo is trying to do this, right? Sure. Uh, Something similar, and they have a multi- Chat, channel, Goldman Sachs is doing it. Yeah, I think people are just waiting for Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, or UBS to make, who have all been reportedly sniffing around this RIA space. But they're so huge. How do you do this without building an exit ramp for your own advisors? Yeah.
3: Well, I, I think a lot of them are going to try to transition into becoming a big, big RIA, which would be right. the smartest thing for them to do. But I think a lot of it is short term, right? Looking for what are the, their numbers, right? For next quarter, well, there's going to be a big drop in those numbers, right? When yeah. you're going from the ROI on a broker-dealer business, you know, with these six, seven percent variable annuities, the ROI on as being a custodian, which is in the BIPs, right? right. I mean, it's it's poultry. So you really need to have big, big numbers, and I think they realize that, but I think a lot of them are afraid to make that switch because it'll be a system shock for sure.
1: All right. Well, thanks, Chuck. That's great commentary.
3: You bet. Well, thank you, guys, and. Jeff, looking forward to working more with you on on button up the summit, but it's looking really great so far.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, We'll uh, we'll put the uh, we'll try and put the link in the show notes on the website and uh, also a reminder of that uh, that discount code.
3: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Hey, Jeff, that was our 40th episode of the Investment News podcast. 40th. Wow. Excellent work. Well, thank you, partner. And Jeff, as you know, if it's Monday, it's time for another Investment News podcast. And we want to thank our special guests. First off, Kurt Wolf, who's an investigations and enforcement attorney at Trump and Pepper. And Chuck Fela, who's the principal at Sovereign Financial and RIA. And he's also co-chair of the Investment News RIA Summit, which is in may the 18th and 19th virtual uh, summit and meeting we also want to thank our producer steven lamb of course you can find this podcast at investmentnews.com which has we have a number of podcasts up there right now which i'm just starting to dig into we, and you can find us on apple spotify google play and stitcher leave us a review on apple please follow us on spotify you can reach Jeff on Twitter, at Benji Ryder. You can reach me, at BDNewsGuy, on Twitter, of course. And we'll be talking to you next week. Thanks very much.